I have to keep my children safe. This side of the planet seems less intent on killing our children. Father once said to me, if you pretend to be something wrong enough, something wicked this way comes. eventually you'll no longer need to pretend. I fear we're becoming too human. What's done be. To be the parents that our children deserve. When the trust passes the baton, you'll be the one to take it. I'm gonna convert them all. One at a time if I have to. I miss being able to believe that there's someone out there listening. Someone with the power to make things all better. When are we going to tell them what we discovered? Nothing can stand against me. To be worthy of souls love children, you only need faith. And that is one thing that this robot can never take away from us. Love is the death of us all. author and podcaster jeffrey d calhoun joins us tonight welcome sir welcome sir hello thank you let's raise the roof off this bitch <laughs> <laughs> so we are talking hbo max's original series raised by wolves from ridley scott so first off uh jeffrey were you already kind of a big sci-fi horror or cyberpunk author for that kind of matter <laughs> yeah man i I'm, I'm a big fan of of sci-fi i think it's a great um a great vehicle to discuss current events because you can hide it through science fiction but it's it's relatable enough that you can sneak in kind of like thematic messages to to the audience it's like the only way you get people to just shut up and just like take it at face value it, like, yeah george romero does it with his zombies and exactly it's <laughs> If you had got to go to old hard sci-fi like The Expanse or even Forbidden Planet just to talk about anything, it's like it's the best way. Yeah, wage disparity, religion, politics—you can cover all of that stuff in science fiction. And um, yeah, Rid Ridley Scott is my favorite 
director. So it was great to see him come on this show as a producer and a director. Yeah, and it was funny how instantly uh, the various articles were speculating, oh, this might be in the same universe as Blade Runner Alien. Yeah. Years ago where he's like, yeah, the Yatani industry is technically, the, in my mind, the same industry of the replicants and Blade Runner, but no, this ain't got nothing to do with either of these. I'm doing two episodes to start it off, and then I'm giving it to the rest of these guys. Yeah. Well, it's because he's he came on to direct and produce it, so it was created by uh, Aaron Guzikowski. So this is like his baby. So I'm not surprised that you know the the universes aren't related. Um, but what was kind of re- really neat is that Ridley Scott brought his son on to direct the first couple episodes in season mm-hmm. one as well, which I thought was cool. Yeah, his son has been doing a lot of second unit assistant directing for his projects. And uh, the cast was very interesting. This, the British gal who's the main gal just has the perfect kind of way of just kind of a neutral face, which is what you need for a cyborg. Uh, Yeah. So Amanda Collin plays mother. She's, she's Danish. And so that's why okay. that, that accent, oh. her accent is kind of different, you know? It. No, it's it's fine. But yeah, she has that amazing lifeless smile that she brings on, which is, I have to, I really have so much respect for just the way she presents herself on screen. I can see why they cast her immediately. Totally. And Travis Fimmel from Vikings, he's used to being in ragged garb and he's the human counterpart, basically, of the show. <laughs> he's... I know. Studying her from afar, and he's he's afraid to get near her, and yet he knows he needs her as an ally against the alien entities that are plaguing the planet. It's so crazy. So his journey. I I think he's such a great actor. His his journey in season one is really about a guy trying to fit in and find purpose. Yeah. Throughout that season and season one, at least, he starts to to find that purpose, but then it kind of poisons him to the point to where he becomes almost like drunk with power. He's through. kind of a robot without knowing it because his humanity is kind of gone. He's just yeah. so isolated on this desolate planet, and he's right. First, he's not sure if he should conquer her, and then he realizes what she, he sees what atrocities she's done to men who get near her kids <laughs> yeah he's just like okay i'll just study her and yeah no I, I agree <laughs> i think i think it was i think his journey in season one was great and then his his journey in season two was just like mind-blowing totally and the kids for once you got no annoying kids like you they are literally more human than their mother <laughs> they are so oh, yeah. used to adapting and seeing various traits and this is basically, I mean, I can totally see why HBO picked this up. They needed something to build on the, you know, share the rings with Westworld. It's just that same kind of yeah. logic. And I feel like it even harkens back a little bit to the best elements of, say, a Philip K. Dick or Isaac Asimov or Arthur Absolutely. novel where you're just survival. Each Now, at first I was a little annoyed by the slow burn, but I, I still give it a total recommend just because... This is, again, hearkening back to an old-school kind of sci-fi novel. And I read a bunch of sci-fi growing up, as along with mystery. And I don't mean to sound like a jerk, but I, as, as much action and horror as I consume, I can never really read them. 
it, it no. was for me for whatever reason it just didn't elicit well because it's just a visual medium when it comes to horror and action for me and uh, i was really creeped out by the aliens in this i even though this is a sci-fi oh, yeah, show that they they have like a chathalo thing when they're trying to merge with the replicants and like still they're you know <laughs> basically suck their electronic you know juices basically and yeah the fuel blood was fascinating so i i agree that a show like this it has to be a slow burn because you, you know, what I, what i can say i appreciate about it is that the creators of the show really created what feels like a real world it feels like you understand every character is developed you understand the mythology behind the Mithraic religion and then the atheistic culture and how they clash. So you understand everything. And what I, what I thought was cool, instead of starting the show on that planet earth, we start on this, this dead planet. Yeah. They crash, they crash. And then she's, she, they, they, they birth the babies. And then, you know, we see how their parents and we see the kids dying and as we see the kids dying, we see the desperation on the androids. And because of that, we start to emotionally get behind what they're trying to do. They're trying to save humanity in the only way they know how. And then you get Campion, who develops this personality of a survivor and eventually grows into that kind of centrist character who's both has the strength of the atheists and the strengths of the mithraics which i thought was great that's a good point i didn't think about that i was mainly just studying how they're you know copying human you know repopulation yeah. repopulation and well so so thematically this this story is about you know atheistic culture and about um religious culture and about how those clash and, the, and they set that up in this in this show that uh, both cultures end up destroying the earth because of the way they disagree. So science versus religion, right? I mean, you can't get any more primal than that. Um, <laughs> and so we end up on this new planet where they get a fresh start, but then again, they clash. Now what's really cool with this is that we get to see it almost as a fresh start as they're bringing all of this in together. But then you add on all of the intrigue of, this god that they worship soul um but now he's talking to certain people and it's almost like soul is real on this planet and but maybe the way that soul is going about doing things is pretty evil <laughs> so now you start thinking oh my god this is an evil god that has infiltrated the human race so they are talking about so much here and when you have a theme like that you have the extremes so you have Mother, who is the cold, calculating robot. Then you have Marcus, who is the fervent um, uh, religious figure who has, has lost his moral compass, as he said, for his God. And then you have Campion, who is dead center in the middle. And you bring in, yeah. all, of, you bring in all of the other kids, and they all have different perspectives on that overall theme. And that's what really builds out the lore and the humanity behind the show and it works so well and they double down on it in season two yeah season two is like uh, as soon as everything's out of the bag now they're just like okay got your attention 
Let's do a quicker season, and then let's. I lost uh, you for a sec. Oh, sorry. Okay, I'm right here. But yeah, uh, how about now? Let's see Can you what's hear going me now? on here. Can you hear me now? Uh, how about now? Yep, I can hear you now. Okay, I'm not sure what happened with my connection, but um, yeah, no, like, like you say, it's like now that you know everything and we've given you all the juice, let's yeah, let's have a shorter season and do just kind of more resolution. And have they picked up a third season? So one thing with these shows is you want to nail the finale, right? You want to get that season finale down to build intrigue and to build, you know, the audience interest and to get the studio's interest in renewing. Um, season one's finale was incredible. Um, I could not, I was just like, God, I hope they pick it up. They picked it up. I was so excited. Seasons, and I thank you for having me research this one. <laughs> oh, good. I'm glad. Season, season two's finale was shocking because. Yeah. All Travis, comes to a giant close. Yeah, Travis Fimmel's two-season arc of him finding this religion, going deep into this religion, becoming the the head of this religion, like the Pope for you know, where people are worshiping not just soul, but they're worshiping him as like souls and living embodiment, essentially. And then him coming to terms with the fact that soul is evil and he turns away from soul that completely finishes his arc as a character and when that happens you kill a character right because they have nowhere else to go (laughs) or or you start them rolling on a new arc okay so i was like oh i was happy and sad i was like oh his arc is over so i knew where it's going so when we get to the ending i'm like yeah okay all of that makes sense but then you cut to the last seconds when you see him and you're like, what the hell? So I thought it was, <laughs> it was fantastic. I don't know if it's been picked up for a third season. From what I understand, they are leaning towards it. I know season two was picked up right away. They I picked it up. The numbers have been there. So <laughs> yeah, well, it's, it made critical reviews. I mean, people love season two. So I think they'll, I think they'll get it. And the reason why they cut down on episodes from 10 to eight in season two is, is to up the budget. So you get so much budget per season, right? Mm -hmm. And so instead of extending that budget to 10 episodes, you cut it down to eight, but that allows you to have eight bigger episodes budget wise. Okay. Gotcha. Well, and more or less, yeah. As we saw with shows that came back, you know, that, that it's also just easier for everyone to just want to recreate all that magic when it's just a shorter yeah runtime yeah like you say i mean you know they didn't know if this would be their last year or not so best not attempt fate just let it all out of the bottle <laughs> no i thought it was great and and um his wife in the show sue who is really very much like the heart of the show as mm-hmm. far as campy and it's you know her discovering her inner motherhood um as a human perspective so they were going to kill her off season one oh really 
but that <laughs> actor is so great. She was in a in a film called Censor, which I don't know if you if you've had a chance to watch it, but it sounds like, yeah. like you like horror. Pretty so, edgy. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So you saw it. what a great she did a great performance, and obviously she's really talented. So they didn't kill her off in season one. They built out her arc in season two to that. I mean, tragic but shocking conclusion. Yeah. I was just like, this is amazing. This is terrible. <laughs> well, and like you say, I mean, when a when a character is basically revealed everything, it's like now it's up to the main character who's been a wimp the entire time to now yeah. muscle up. And yeah. I, I think spy movies do it well. I think demonic possession or home invasion movies do it well. It, like it just yeah. calls for the beloved or flawed character seeking redemption that's the only way they can go in terms of their lifespan on screen they gotta yeah. sacrifice themselves or be killed by the entity and or so die some other characters avenge them <laughs> yeah oh. yeah i really i really want to see this one hit a season three because um and then and, and, and five because yeah the, it doesn't have to be like game of thrones or anything else where which involves a king kingdom conquering and then not sure where else to go and then it is like with this is like they could go to another planet they could go to some apocalyptic version of earth they could go to something else that they think is sacred or is literally a giant computer planet you know <laughs> yeah we'll have to see i i have a feeling that it'll come to a hard conclusion uh possibly in the next season because these shows are so hard to get renewed oh, but yeah. um we'll see i mean if you look at like westworld westworld got what i think three seasons i yeah. think they i think they wanted to go longer they just couldn't so they they gave you that that big conclusion at the end of westworld so i could see something like that happening I think which is days, so wild because their previous yeah. show jonathan nolan and links to joy his previous show uh uh, was a uh, person of interest and they intended that as a six season arc and yeah. their wish because you know they were able to do the impossible they were able to get people who thought it was just a simple cop show to tune in and people who wanted a matrix x-files kind of show kept yeah. tuning in because it was serialized there was some giant puzzle piece to solve each week and you know then when yeah. they started shorting the episodes they still just like they still had it outlined is like one of the main characters is gonna again have to give his life and you're gonna have to determine does the machine that you know is the supercomputer they have to keep in line you know get mm -hmm. shut down or is it a half victory exactly <laughs> that's why i thought it was successful regardless of the cast changes and uh contract renewals and yeah yeah exactly i mean typically with these shows they outline they outline for three, but they plan for five seasons. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and um, overall, I mean, this could even just go even further. Like they could probably do kind of what many other shows have done for years, whether they're, you know, online or network shows that they could do kind of little mini chapters mini shorts like they did with the recent blade runner where they just like give a little character backstory and 
in between awaiting each episode, but I don't know if that's in the plans or budget, but that would be fun. No, I think it's a good idea if you have a really unique and interesting IP like this that you, you have opportunity to build out for um, spinoffs. And, you know, like I mean, you it's brand building. The, uh, brand building, kind of like how you would buy the novelization of a movie just so it would fill in the plot holes or what yeah. got left on the cutting room floor and build the world. <laughs> no, absolutely. And I just think it's fascinating. I mean, the 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 creator you know is doing things like with the with the atheist religion he's he's taking mother for instance and he puts her in this you know uh crucifix jesus like pose all the time when she opens her arms for a hug from her children or when she flies she's always in this jesus like pose and after she saves the day in season 2 you have kids making symbols out of her even though they're atheists they're deifying her they have no one else to turn to yeah i think it's really fascinating the the world building elements that he has of this yeah (laughs) so there's places to go she's like skynet from the terminator films mixed with the t-1000 yeah it's awesome (laughs) oh god and it almost kind of makes one wish that you know for whatever reason just like I don't know, like whenever someone comes out with sci-fi, it basically always takes an action thing and the philosophical ideas get tossed out, unfortunately, because at that point, everyone wants carnage and explosions. And it's just a shame because when I talk to people about sci-fi, very few of them, unless they're fans of something like The Expanse or Westworld, just seem to think, oh, sci-fi, that's just, you know, Star Wars, bang, bang, kaboom, spaceships. It's like, no, not necessarily. It can be, you know traveling it can be scientific for real you know sci-fi and it can show again like you say just cultures and colonies and (laughs) survival of some kind like i I think another show that does these themes pretty well is c which is on apple tv and yeah shows various cultures where people have drinking you know you know, contaminated water and they've all lost their vision. So again, all they got are like their remaining senses. <laughs> oh, wow. And, but it does the same kind of things where they're like, I answer to you, you know, <laughs> modern day cavemen. And it's just very well casted. Jason Momoa, Batista, and Alfred Woodard of all people. Just nice. All, all excellent. And same kind of concepts as the newer Battlestar Galactica where, you can take it all very seriously. It's not a terrible, you know, Mad Max or Waterworld kind of, you know, yeah. thing where it's the ideas are there, but the execution isn't, you know, it, it's. Oh, I got gotcha. you. Yeah, concise. I mean, that shows you the big difference there. Yeah. It's not junky. It's <laughs> not guilty pleasure. It's fine. Um, and I, I think that's just sci fi is just the way to go in terms of TV because. You can do fun stuff here and there, but they just don't seem to... I had one pal who was even complaining, especially when they saw all the Star Trek shows going straight to streaming, and they're like, oh, why why do they do that? Did they not respect us as fans? I'm like, because sci-fi just does not do well on network TV. They The channels don't know how to market or schedule it. It just never catches on. Well, streaming is the new thing, man. I mean, it that's is. just it's just that's just what it is. Everybody's really kind of cut the cable 
Um, so, and you can guarantee subscribers at least like at least 10 K within the first week. If you yeah. catch their eyes with an ad and, I mean, if you say a filmmaker from the, you know, so-and-so presents, then. Well, I mean, so Netflix really started the game. Amazon came on after that. They came on late, but everybody pretty much thought, oh, this is a fluke. You know, Netflix was able to capitalize on it because they started with DVDs and they didn't think anything (laughs) of it. But when you had Disney Plus come out and they saw the huge push for Disney Plus and they saw how Disney really decided to take their ailing Star Wars franchise from theaters and push it into streaming and see how that really allowed for new breath to be brought into that series so that people were actually like excited about Star Wars again. Have you encountered people who haven't even seen Star Wars before and they've seen Mondo and then they Uh, wanted to go back to all the movies? I met somebody... I met that with even I, the so Star like, I'm Trek a huge, fans. I'm a huge Star Wars fan. And I met somebody <laughs> who did not know what Yoda was. And I was like, I can't, <laughs> I can't even talk to you right now. You don't know who Yoda is. And I said, what No, I was like, I was here? like, little green dude with a light sword. And she goes, No, he like talks backwards. She's I have no idea. I said, Okay. I don't, I don't, I think we're done here. I <laughs> <laughs> can't even relate on a fundamental level. Yeah. So, um, but when Disney plus came out and showed that you could do that, then all of these other streamers started going, okay. So then you get Paramount plus and you get, I mean, you've got, even got news stations now going full streaming. So yeah, they're all really realizing that. And they learned huge fast that first yeah. year. They're like, we can't do this again. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I think it's going to improve. And for all mankind is another good one. Ronald D. Moore, who had worked on the Star Trek shows and the new Battlestar, he came up with this alternate universe where in a perfect world, what would have happened if Russia and the U.S., you know, oh, had I'm a gonna successful look that one up. space program. Yeah, it's on Apple also. And Oh, I haven't looked at that one yet. That's cool. I really like Ronald D. Moore. He's... Uh... He's awesome. He got his first gig on Star Trek. Yep. Next next gen by um Wrote by some sending of the best them Klingon episodes. He sent them a spec. Mm-hmm. He sent he sent them a sample script and they hired him, which they I mean that doesn't happen now. But and they're very self-critical. He and Brandon Braga and all those other guys, they got, you know, hot takes at first. But you know, see, they were just screenwriters first versus, you know, just fanboys who, you know, made it big. You know, they just yeah. They knew how to channel their passions. Well, like you say, I mean, you're a screenwriter and I've done screenwriting too. And it's, you, if you can't critique your own shit, then, you know, just stop now. You know, you can't, you, the ego is only good for so long before, you know, it, the stroking, you know, stops. You got to be able to just say, you know, why do we ever, why does everyone else react to this? You know, how can I take this character apart and keep the momentum of the material just going yeah i mean if you want to talk about that we can talk about that so i uh (laughs) for me it's the difference between being an amateur and a hobbyist i'm sorry between being an amateur hobbyist and a professional so a professional takes can take notes and can criticize themselves so you know when i work with a production company or director because i have a film shooting this summer congrats yeah thanks when i when i have a when I get notes from a director, I take those notes and I change the story because 
I'm working with them. It's a screenplay is a is an invite for collaboration. That's really what a screenplay is. But when you're a hobbyist or you're an amateur, um, you can't take the criticism and may even hide behind being an artist, which that drives me nuts. So I can't you, do it either. If you're, calling your, if you're calling yourself an artist and they're trying to I'm change your art. you'll steal it, which is their way of, I know it sucks, but I don't want it your two cents. Well, there's <laughs> nothing original. I mean, it, you know, no. you, you can't copyright an idea. If you could, there was only be one vampire movie ever that was made. <laughs> yeah, very much. <laughs> and just fess up, just like, I don't know. I know this is missing something. I yeah. need you to sit down and rip me a new one. I'm happy yeah. to let you do it. And take your take your attachment out of it. Like you can't take it personally. And so many do. And often, if you're listening uh, enough, you can typically even tell, you know, the inexperienced guy who hates anything from the person who is the key audience, the key demographic who would normally like to see something like this. And they're saying, this just reminds me of this, you know, which is not what I like about the genre or what have you, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I mean, if unfortunately, you're, if you, sorry, go ahead. No, it's fine. And if so you can't, many just can't, they just can't tell it apart. They're just like, I need this. I need that. Yeah. I, they, they can't take the notes. And, and if they can't take the notes, then you have to essentially be making stuff yourself on your own. Yeah. I mean, you can't, because that's what a screenplay is, it's collaboration. If you can't collaborate with anybody, then yeah. you need to make your own stuff. I did a gangster revenge part fugitive kind of movie. Oh, cool. Out of script. And the ones who were very cynical just, you know, didn't really like action or stuff like that. So I was like, okay, I'm not really taking weighing that on much but i kept getting notes on i need a little more just like one or two more scenes with this guy getting inside their head it was like okay that's i'm feeling that I'm i lost you again. Advice, so it was like and one gal i could tell didn't even read past the first page she did the whole oh i'm not sure you would you know you're not writing this very believable, even though I had inserted some subtext explaining that the person was an ex-con, so therefore, you know, they were being very secretive and, you know. Not even past the first page is pretty terrible. I've received notes from... You can tell. You really like can. Because when you explain something or have an extra line of dialogue, you can tell they just skim read it. And it's like, okay. So I get that I don't have your attention. But, I mean... It doesn't ever hurt to just reread it just in case. <laughs> <laughs> it's so much to ask somebody to read a script. You know, it takes me two hours to read a screenplay. So you have to sit there and you have to really focus. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, it, it can be a lot. And, and the hardest part is when you get a screenplay that is overloaded with too much stuff. So then you start oh, getting yeah. lost and then you have to start taking notes. That's always pretty difficult. Because now, that's it. Yeah, because now I'm like, okay, now I have to take notes on what's going on so that they know I read the story. <laughs> you know, I'm like super confused. Yeah. Uh, that and I don't know. just like, I often write down what I, I take a cue from one of my screenwriting professors. I write down what's working right now. It's like, that's a 
kick-ass first opening line. <laughs> I don't think anyone's ever used that witty one-liner before. And then I look at the other one's like, yeah, but I, I really don't care how this ends. It just feels a little too robotic. And I don't know if it's just over-familiar or what, but. <laughs> yeah, that can be difficult. That you can have to, be figured you have out to strike probably. The balance. Yeah. And now, and now let, let me ask you this. Like this show, for instance, did good use of montages. Why do you think so many screenwriters frown or filmmakers frown on montages, even though that's been proven to be very good, whether it's a popcorn movie like Rocky Four or a key movie like Fruitvale Station, <laughs> just showing I mean, the essence yeah. of a life of a man who's doomed for failure, you know? One montage is fine. If you're gonna throw one in there during a film, just if you start getting too if you start, Yeah, if you start getting two or three, it's just it's lazy writing. That's all it is. It's like or you just can't come, inspired music. Yeah, video. <laughs> you can't you can't come up with a better way to tell the story. So you just montage the hell out of this thing, and it's it's just it's just too much. It's 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 overwhelming, and it keeps taking you out. It, it it's it takes away from the impact of the montage. Like a good montage, if you look at the like the opening montage of Up, will make you cry, or will make you laugh or smile because the whole point is to show something over time, but the emotional impact of it in a quick way. So if you keep using that over and over and over, each time you use it, it's less and less effective. Mm -hmm. That, and I guess we've just, again, we've seen so many tricks and how much of it is glossiness versus <laughs> substantial. Yeah, right. Thank you for being on here and just having fun with this you know, oh yeah man it's a good show i appreciate chatting with you cam yeah and this was a fun setup because you know like this is one show where it pretty much writes itself and you're just along for the ride just observing it as opposed to whoa hold on a minute you know this you got to watch various episodes five different times just to make sense of it you know finally it's like no it's not that kind of thing no, I think it grabs you and they build up enough mystery and intrigue that you want to know what's going on. And the characters are fascinating. The acting is great. The sets are beautiful. I mean, it has it has everything and it starts to build and it gets weird. And that's kind of what makes it great is that it's just weird. Like you can't find really anything else out there like this because studios won't take a chance on something like this because it's it's different you know it's like oh it's not your typical sci-fi we gotta have it be like john wick or taken or you know yeah. something else crazy you know walking dead or <laughs> yeah i mean it's truly it's a really an original show and i think that is is what's so beautiful about it so anybody getting into this is getting into something that is gonna take them to a whole new experience it's hard to pull off nowadays absolutely and uh just i'm gonna let you plug your book that you have oh yeah sure so the guide for every screenwriter is a uh, reference guide that that i've written that was just listed as the best screenwriting the best screenwriting book of all time by the book authority it's on a list of top 100 and um it is an all-encompassing guide on screenwriting so it really it breaks down the mysteries of screenwriting and can walk you through the entire process of how to do it and become a screenwriter in an easy to understand and accessible way 
Okay, very cool. And if you just found it in your passion, you just want to teach other people tools of the tricks, you know, tricks of the trade. Yeah, I love teaching. I, I am a screenwriting instructor. Um, I also do mentorships. I initially was hired to fly down to Ghana and teach screenwriting, which was the which was the birth of the guide for every screenwriter. Um, and I host my podcast, the Successful Screenwriter podcast, which you could find anywhere. And I interview um, Hollywood screenwriters, indie screenwriters, directors, um, and like I guess, you know, like I have people from uh, Netflix shows who come on and, and talk about the industry and how they broke in and really, really break down different ways to get into screenwriting and find your own success. So it's pretty awesome. And like you say, I mean, it's just, that's what I do when I invite anyone, whether it's a makeup artist or a stunt performer or, you know, some kind of filmmaker is like, you want a little just of that emphasis, like what keeps you going? What makes you just say, Hey, I want to get up in the morning. I want to just do something life-changing and other people will enjoy it. You know? I think in something like this, it's really important to show different avenues of how people have gotten to where they are. So that way it really takes away that mystery. A lot of what I do is breaking things down in the simplest way so that people can see that this is something that's possible. Whether you I'm want to so be- I'm so glad you mentioned Because yeah. there are so many people who are like, I can't do that. I, I've had, I've been able to cycle through who are my serious pals and who are just, you know, full of shit. And- mm -hmm. I noticed the ones who are just not prospering are so worried about their budget. And it's like, I'll put it to you this way. If you can't use your imagination, you know, just stop now. Because you, you can't get caught up in this budget or doing the whole, well, I'm waiting on a, to hear back from one of my friends, you know, who hasn't given me a yes answer yet, or I want to get this actor in. It's like, well, you have to start small and then you can try and aim big based on whatever earnings you made from whatever distribution deal. You can't do that. I look at it like an eBay bid. I'm willing to pay this much. I can afford to pay this much. So yeah. that's as high as my offer is going to be. And if yeah. they want to upcharge me and say, no, you're willing to bid, you know, 10,000, but we want 40,000. I just have to, you know, cut my losses and say, no, I can't, I can't do this. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think I really believe in strategizing um, when you're writing a script, what you're doing, really look at why you're doing it. Is this practice? Is this something for me to become better as a writer? Is this expression? Is this cathartic for me? Is this something I need to get on the page for me to process internally? Is this something I'm trying to sell? Is this a, a writing sample? Like, what are you doing and why are you doing it? And a great example I like to look at is like Willy's Wonderland, right? It's a great horror movie. It stars Nicolas Cage and Nicolas Cage has no lines in the movie. And that's because <laughs> the writer director really wanted Nick Cage for this film. He wanted to work with Nick Cage. He wanted to make a Nick Cage film. So he approached Nick Cage's um, agent and said, how much is Nick Cage? And he said, okay, this is how much Nick Cage is for shooting. He goes, what's the cheapest I can get Nick Cage if like he doesn't say any dialogue? And so then right. they, okay, if he doesn't do any dialogue, it's this this much a day. He said, okay, great, I'll do that. So he wrote a script 
with the central character has no dialogue mm -hmm. so that he because he knew he could get the money to pay nick cage to do that film and i think that is because you got a compromise but you also know hey i can't afford to do this right no, but he but he made it happen he has this movie he, he was he knew he can get that kind of money he got the money he has a nick cage movie and it's fucking great it's a it's a it's a funny scary horror movie with a really interesting performance from nick cage so mm -hmm. he got everything he wanted to do out of it yeah. um, because he knew where he wanted to go and he knew what he could do so when i approach a project that's how i approach it that uh, makes sense and like you say i mean i think everyone's just getting so tired like amazon has stopped for instance accepting uh, you know, independent movies anymore. Yeah, no, they're, they're done. They're cleaning shop. They're just like, right, yeah, uh, no more. You know, poorly, you know, resolution photos. You know, this is our brand too. <laughs> yeah, they well, when they first started, they they were desperate for content because Netflix had a ton of stuff. Yep. So they opened the doors to indie indie filmmakers. And indie filmmakers really built Amazon Prime. They really did. Um, and then they over the next few Saturated, years. Yeah. <laughs> they cut down payouts to the point to where it was pennies, pennies on the dollar. Because um, yeah. you had guys making a living off of their Amazon Prime films. And then overnight, practically, they lost all of that. Um, and, and it was when Amazon got popular enough and enough budget to start making original shows. And that's when everything changed. So now you have all of these indie filmmakers going to think places like Tubi, um to to get yeah, paid for their work content because one of their investments right. apparently is fox they're right doing that whatever's not on hulu that's going there right and so what you're going to find in a couple of years though it's going to be the same thing two people start doing their own content and they'll start pushing out the indie filmmaker and then the indie filmmaker will have to find another avenue once again um, for their films so i mean that that's really unfortunately what's going on but if you're an indie filmmaker and you've got something made and you can't get distribution and all that all the major streamers right now tubi's interested so of course you're going to go there you're trying to make a buck and that's just it too i've even had to explain the difference between independent films and direct video is just like you know and sometimes again you know now we're not even so much, you know, not so much physical media anymore. So yeah, it's straight to streaming. <laughs> if you're not going to the theater, you're going straight to streaming now. So, and that can be a good or a bad thing, depending on, you know, the quality. Of the yeah, movie. it depends on what you're doing. And again, your strategy. I mean, there's indie films that have A-list Hollywood actors and they're, they got a $3 million budget. Okay, there's indie films that have a $30,000 budget but they look really great and there's a great cast. They're just unknown actors, right? So then you go, okay, what is my strategy? And you have to build in your strategy. I mean, from the ground up, you don't just make a movie and then say, okay, how do I distribute it? I mean, that you've, you've, you've failed. You, you sit down, you go, this is the script I have. Okay, what kind of actors can I get that can get this going in the right direction? Do I want a named actor? so I can get a return on investment on that actor's name if I throw them 
on the poster. You probably can't afford an A-lister, but can you afford a B-lister? Right, exactly. Michael J. White or Dolph Lundgren or Scott Atkins make a living doing movies that are basically half the budget of, say, a giant Denzel Washington or Liam Neeson revenge movie. So So there you go. So you you get that, (laughs) and then you strategize that into your distribution. Right. (laughs) Very well said. If only others took your advice, you know. (laughs) Hopefully you keep spreading it, you know. (laughs) Once again, thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. (laughs) Follow us on the web on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. The podcast is available on Podbean, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Anchor, Apple, and anywhere else podcasts are available. Feel free to review our show and leave comments on any of those sites. Thanks a million for listening. It's a jacked up.